Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you You'll feel with Bowl and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowl and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. President's bullet-ridden body in the street, ride Johnny ride. Kennedy's shattered head hits concrete, ride Johnny ride. Johnny's wife is floundering, Johnny's wife is scared, run Jackie run. Texas is an outrage when your husband is dead, Texas is an outrage when they pick up his head. Texas is the reason that the president's dead. You gotta suck, suck, Jackie, suck. Misfits, bullet. Do you know those lyrics? Probably you've heard that song a million times. Well, if you haven't, you should have. It's the Misfits. I mean, goddamn, if there isn't a more essential band of the last 30, 40 years, or is it even 50 years? Must be almost, whatever it is. Misfits, bullet. The reason I bring up those lyrics is because today's podcast, number 148 of Agitators Anonymous, is about conspiracy theories. It's about, at least in my own sort of small, dumb kind of way, I've, I'm going to take 10 things that we should apply and like a mental checklist when we hear the phrase conspiracy theory and what is widely acknowledged as the greatest conspiracy theory of them all. Well, there's two, I guess. There's the moon landing. Who killed John F. Kennedy? I mean, that's that's a conspiracy, isn't it? And there are theories about who killed him, and they are what was once called conspiracy theories. All right, so the podcast is sponsored by MetalBlade.com. Go to IndieMerch, I-N-D-I-E, Merch.com, slash MetalBlade. Uh, the link will be below in the description and you can use the promo code AA2023 for 10% off. I'll repeat all of that in a while. So, you can follow me on Instagram, nemthiango underscore primordial or primordial underscore official. There's going to be quite a few interesting and cool things happening over there soon enough, actually, um, if you want to follow primordial because we're going to start recording a new album soon. So there'll be a couple of little video parts. There's going to be a bit of this, a bit of that happening over there. Might be interesting, might not be interesting. We'll wait and see. Anyway, album number nine, is it? I think it might be nine. Who knows? Who can tell? Um, and 
If you've been listening to the podcast the last while, you'll know that I posted a new song by a band called Verminous Serpent I've been taking part in. Well, today, um, the vinyls and the CD arrived. And so we will have some to sell on March the 17th. So keep watching out for that. Yes, I know, March the 17th. We didn't pick that. Anyway, so why am I going to talk about conspiracy theories and could it get me into trouble? Um, possibly and probably not. I don't know. Who knows? However, there's a podcast that I really like. It's called Unheard. Now, you see what they've done there. Unheard. H-E-R-D is in don't be part of the herd and don't be unheard. It's a quite eh, kind of pun on the word unheard. But anyway, they have this guy called Freddie Sayers, who's sort of like, I think, an avatar of a um, uh, what a middle-aged woman would create for herself as a Mills and Boone type swashbuckling hero with his super posh accent and rugged, handsome, good looks. Anyway, Freddie, Freddie uh, hosts Unheard podcast and YouTube and whatever it is. And they were discussing with a woman called Fiona Hill, who I must admit I did not know. They were discussing with her. Um, he's very even handed and level and very, very, very calm. The, the show is good. Anyway, enough promo for them, um, as if they need it. But Fiona Hill, this woman, was discussing the Nord Stream pipeline explosion. Um, she has been, you know, she sat at the table with Putin. She has been in the corridors of power and seemed to have some valuable insight. Now, if you go and listen to the episode with her, you can decide whether or not that's true. That's not really what I'm talking about here. But she had an opinion about the Nord Stream pipeline. And she said initially she thought it was the Russians. Then she changed her mind. Then she thought, well, maybe it is the Americans. And then kind of, you know, propositioned the fact that who knows, perhaps the Ukrainians did it. Either way, that is what you would call traditionally, um, she was theorizing about a conspiracy. Um, and that's what a conspiracy theory fundamentally is, or at least it should be, before those two words became very weaponized. Um, it should be your right to theorize about what something is um, a conspiracy or not. But she was um, going through the motions. Um, you know, the cogs were whirring. The gray matter was beginning to fire up. Um, her neurons were going and she was laying out some different claims. Now, of course, when it comes to the Nord Stream pipeline, and I'll use it as an example later on, Biden did say, um, if he laid it out clearly, you can go and find the soundbite. If um, Russia invades Ukraine, then the Nord Stream pipeline is over, quote unquote. So I thought it would be kind of interesting to um, take, well, to examine the concept of a conspiracy theory. What makes a conspiracy theory and the modern politics around the word? Um, there are two words that we hear constantly these days. Um, I hear it several times a week. I hear it sometimes in relation to my my own good self, uh, you know, to my to people discussing me online. Um, generally and almost always without validity or without ever asking me about it. It's just a kind of it's a kind of throwaway comment, but it's quite a weighty, serious thing to level against somebody. There are two words that we hear constantly in 2023, and we have done for about four or five or six years. But I feel. Too many people use the term without really thinking about it. Um, it's used most of the time to dismiss someone, um, to dismiss whatever it is they're saying, to um, without really thinking about it, you know, without investigating the claim. It's just a kind of a put down. It's become a slur. 
And if you say to somebody, oh, you're just a conspiracy theorist, that means really, I don't really want to discuss this or talk about it. And I also don't really want to spend the time to investigate the claims. Um, and lately, you know, the, the claim has been that a conspiracy theory is only something that the far right would be occupied with. Um, which, as you probably noticed, it feels like kind of any protest against the state, government, tech, pharma, whoever you want to say is put down very often as far right or um, the opinions that they, you know, who knows that they, the opinions that they espouse are claimed to be conspiracy theory. But is that exactly fair? Because um, once upon a time, being on the left meant you questioned power and authority. And the right was far more pro-military and pro-state and backed the power of its institutions. The left traditionally held them to account or, um, you know, wished devolution from those institutions of power or the inheritance of power. Obviously, you know, you go back to the difference between a republic and a monarchy, all those kind of things. Um. But it feels like something has changed over the last decade or so. And why is that? What has changed? Well, well we've discussed it before on the podcast, but I think that the um, the derangement of social media is obviously part of it. But increasingly, let's call them the new left, because as I've said many times, um, I sort of represent the politically homeless as far as I consider it and would consider myself old left as in the concerns of the old left, healthcare, housing, education, all those kind of things. Um, the derangement of social media um, has increasingly left the new left in a place that they seem to embrace draconian ideals as it pursues justice over, for example, liberty. Um, maybe the analogy of the political horseshoe makes sense. Eventually, the furthest reaches of both sides almost meet as they bend around. Think of the shape of a horseshoe. And that's the sort of horseshoe politics analogy. Yet, once upon a time, questioning the profit motives of pharma, um, supporting the deep state military industrial complex and the implementation of new draconian rules. I like the word draconian. It's pretty cool. I don't like the band called draconian, but I do like the word draconian. Um, anyway, they've kind of ruined that uh, word for me. Anyway, draconian rules and laws, um, you know, questioning them as what sort of the left stood for. And sadly, as someone who identifies with these old liberal principles and ideals, I see more and more people calling for censorship. And it would seem blindly pack, blindly backing power and authority. I don't think this ends well. Of course, elements of the right, they do this as well. But let's not, you know, sort of get bogged down in the binary choices we so often seem to be asked to choose between um, in modern society. The truth is always and always the mantra of our agitators anonymous. The truth is in the gray area. But what is clear is that the call um, is that to call someone a conspiracy theorist. Now, it ranks pretty highly on the Orwellian checklist of um, sort of right think. It's used and weaponized as something to put somebody down, to put them in their place. And as words like disinformation, misinformation, as these words are used more and more by authority. Um, and we read lots of times about new incoming hate speech bills, which are going to try and cover hate, um, misinformation and disinformation. What exactly mis and disinformation are, um, of course, is kind of vague. And that's sort of the point, because then you can implemented at will across many, many different platforms or um, different social, cultural, geopolitical um, 
angles. You can cover all sorts of angles. Now, of course, there are um, conspiracy theories that are, um, we could say, are damaging uh, for society, all that kind of thing. But again, the implementation of any form of censorship is such a vague um, tool in the modern, in the hands of the modern technocratic state. If every uh, problem looks like a nail and you're wielding a hammer, you're going to hammer it, right? Regardless of the context. At least that's how somebody who is worried about freedom of speech thinks. Um, and it's kind of the skeptical and I would say rational way of viewing these things, considering the way society is moving and going. But what is a conspiracy theory in reality? But I suppose a point of view over a subject. Yet I think we're going to see a real crackdown on who has views, who has the ability to um, you know, put those views out into the mainstream, and especially a move by the old traditional, the old traditional mainstream uh, media and seats of power to remove the ability of these kind of new up-and-coming um, YouTubers and social media and commentators to have um, an even um, playing field in front of them, to be able to disseminate their own views of certain events in the public sphere. It was only, you know, at the beginning of lockdown, we were told that several um, you know, points of view or misinformation, disinformation should be censored, should be taken out of the public discourse and that you could be um, kind of unpersoned from all your platforms for discussing them. And yet now they are sort of accepted as common. Um, they're sort of accepted and agreed on as the, uh, you know, the process of, of events that actually really happened. Um, so, so the point I always return to is who is making the decisions? Um, you know, if we take a con two concepts like liberty and safety, um, they're very simple concepts, and I understand the need for both. But at the same time, who defines the parameters of what safety is or what liberty is? There's so many subcontexts and subcontextual layers to all of these words that it makes um, it makes the the process of nuance. Which, let's be honest, everything is nuanced. It makes the process of nuance, nuance and context something that, by and large, the uh, main narrative just doesn't want to go into because they want to give you a binary choice, good or evil, yes or no. Um, and the grey area where everything resides, it's just too much to think about, too much to process, too much ballast, too much weighing down the narrative. We've got to release the ballast and let it float to the surface. What am I talking about? What am I talking about? Well, I've had well-meaning and clever friends of mine dismiss something as conspiracy theory without ever really thinking about it. You've heard me discuss, for example, the World Economic Forum on the podcast before. Now, how much influence they have in the real world is, a, you know, it's open to question. Um, is it just um, a talk shop for millionaires? I mean, it is that. But their existence and their aims are clearly defined on their own website and through their own content. Um, and so it is most definitely not a conspiracy. But people who haven't bothered to look at either of those things will just say it. They'll just repeat the mantra. So why do so many people resort to casting something off so quickly? I would say it's part propaganda, mainstream media narrative that creates this almost Pavlovian response within people, a knee-jerk reaction to hearing something that you've been told is outlandish or the people of the other and um, the othering of society, that they think that. You surely don't want to side with them, right? To be on the wrong side of the fence that we've ar artificially created to, um, you know, ring fence this argument. Um, so people, 
um, people want to be not only in the in-group, but also to virtue signal. But more often than not, it's not necessarily even that at all. Those are the sort of um, kind of created media talking points about it. But what I often find among people is they have busy, complex lives with pressure and stress, whether it's kids or school or whatever else, and they haven't the time to ponder over the implications of Klaus Schwab and the concept of you will own nothing and you will be happy. Um, they just can't process all of that. They've got work, they've got things to do. They're busy, they're nuanced, complicated people. And that's never really a story that's told um, by either side of this binary choice in the argument as they scream at each other um, over the barricades. Is that most people are in the middle and they're just, the noise is deafening around some subjects and they just want to be told, like, what, what is this? So that I don't have to do the thinking. The problem is, of course, who's telling you um, what to think or what not to think about. The concept, um, as like I said, if you will own nothing and you will be happy, it sounds like a conspiracy theory, but it's written on a website. It's one of their mission statements. And they also, um, I suppose an awful lot of people don't like the likes of me or the likes of you pulling back the metaphorical curtain and saying to them, hey, could be that you are lied to now and again by the institutions that you ask to keep you and your children and your family safe. So they push back. They push back because I'm a pain in the arse. They push back. It's natural. I get it. So yesterday, um, a friend sent me a story about the 15-minute city living protests in the UK. And you know, this is the same guy who six or nine months ago was saying the World Economic Forum was a conspiracy theory as we had a beer together. I said, well, okay, but you should do a little bit more research about whether you think it is or not. I mean, some of it is patently nonsense, just a billionaire boys club. Um, but there's so many powerful people there. Um, I there's got to be more substance to it. Again, the truth is kind of both things at the same time. But I said to him, 15-minute living cities, you can, if you want to search it, put in 15-minute living Oxfordshire in the UK. Um, and I said to him, well, you do know that this 15-minute living ideal, although it's been around for decades, it's kind of one of their policies or one of the things that they discuss in action. But as it, um, as it defect, as it, Come on, brain. But in this instance, it affected his sister living abroad directly. And all of a sudden it was relevant. And isn't that the same for an awful lot of people? Yet aren't we all a bit like that? Uh, things are conspiracy theory until they aren't. Uh, until they bump up against you and your life. But maybe then is it too late? I don't know. It's hard to say. As always on Agitators Anonymous, the mantra is the truth is grey. I'm politically homeless and we try and hold the middle ground. Skepticism is the only rational perspective, especially when dealing with such institutions of great power, authority and wealth. Um, always in the grey area. There are a multitude of different reasons, vectors moving at different angles, rational and irrational actors, states, power and influence over any one situation. And of course, chaos, chaos. Everything is chaotic. There is a bureaucratic wildness to proceedings that we just always can't quantify. Um, chaos theory, the binary choice just isn't always logical. And neither, though, is dismissing things you've not really thought about as conspiracy theory simply because the others 
think about it. The othering of those we're supposed to be against or talk about it or have thought about it or I've seen it on one of their, heard about it or seen about it on a clip of um, somebody saying, look what they're thinking about over there. Politics is about consensus. But part of the problem in the modern age is that too many people have become binary and partisan in their view of things. We could say almost religious, orthodox even. So therefore, giving any ground to someone you're supposed to be opposed to is like admitting defeat. And as a modern society, I think it's terrible. It's a terrible shame we do this, but we prize doubling down. It's now become a virtue. And it's so it's hardly surprising we're in the mess that we're in. Or are we really in a mess? Or maybe it's just my algorithm playing me. And I look out the window and things aren't that bad. Again, middle ground truth. Of course, there are conspiracy theories that are damaging, that have some rather evil implications. Um, it's not difficult to think about which ones. Um, let's, in a historical context, the Protocols of the Elders of Zion, for example. Um, and I'm going to throw a, throw a few examples here and there into what I'm going to talk about now uh, for the rest of the podcast to illustrate the point. But does that mean we should censor them? Complicated, complicated. You know me, I'm never on the side of censorship uh, as I think, you know, down that path leads authoritarianism. The best antidote to bad speech is good speech or the best antidote to um, conspiracy is hauling it out into the light to have a look at it, to examine it, to question it. Otherwise, you just make martyrs of it and drive the conversation underground. And while you think for a moment, it's nice to it's nice to sit down and think, ah, oh, I won that confrontation. It doesn't really work like that. Eventually, the censors come for all sides of the debate. But that's not really my point here. Um, I'm never on the side, as I said, of censorship. Sure, things can be difficult or uncomfortable to deal with and consider... But it really is about who does the censoring, I suppose. Who decides what is and isn't a valid theory? Because that's what a conspiracy theory is. It's a theory. Who killed JFK? Well, some people say it's the mafia. Some people say it's, um, you know, the CIA. These are theories, right? If you've watched Oliver Stone, as maddening and crazy as he seems on Joe Rogan, he will have dragged you through about 20 or 30 conspiracy theories in the pro in the process of just one episode. Sometimes it can be staggering to try and just sort of get a foothold on where his mind is but he just rails through them super hard but who decides whether he's right or wrong it's surely better to think about the implications of the things that he says this is more what would concern me than the availability of a potentially divisive theory but it got me thinking about conspiracy theories how we should think about them so in my head i've made up a rough 10 point checklist and here on episode 148, you can humor me by having a listen to my 10 points and see if you agree. Maybe they make some sense. Maybe they don't make some sense. Have a little think and let me know. Hey, Alan, that's fucking bullshit. Or, yeah, you maybe have a point. All right. So the first thing is motive. If you think about your average conspiracy theory. The first thing I think the really um, the, the intellectual way to do it, and it seems if you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. 
With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Seems like such a simple word, but what is the motive for doing something? Um, let's take the um, Nord Stream, the, the gas pipeline, and look at the people who may, um, you know, may have blown it up. Um, we've already seen, if you maybe have done some investigating, that Biden said, basically said, yeah, we, we are going to blow this pipeline up. What is their motive? I suppose it's to remove European dependence on um, Russian gas and to step into that breach themselves. Initially, everyone said it was Russian because it had some sort of hallmark hallmarks of, um, you know, Russian, um, you know, espionage or secretive um, industrial operations, the kind of which you saw in um, in the annexation of several countries over the last 10 or 15 years. Um, but the motive, what was the motive? Think about all the other things you, you have as conspiracy theories. People say the moon landing conspiracy theory. What was the motive for faking that? How could that have worked out? And so in thinking about the motive, this is really when you're boiling down to why would someone do that? And if you can't really find a logical reason for that, then the chances are there probably isn't one. 
And these are the smoke and mirrors, the noise that is surrounding um, a, a theory. People talk about the Gulf of Tonkin incident, which seemed to be the precursor to the United States, um, you know, becoming more engaged in the Vietnam War. If you consider JFK, who had the motives for killing him? Um, so that's, I think, the first thing to consider. Then what we must consider, um, number two, is the means. Is it possible? Um, this woman, Fiona Hill, on Unheard, um, says, well, the Ukrainians could have done it, could have blown up this pipeline. Um, and then you have to, and then she kind of muses and wonders, well, do they have the means? As in, can they get people into that position to be undetected, to plant explosives, whatever it is? Is it possible? Does do they have the means? Do does a does a small country with maybe a much smaller military or um, all of that kind of stuff? Do they have the means to um, infiltrate a greater country? Do they have the means to be able to go undetected, to fly in undetected, or I suppose these days to hack into um, surveillance systems? So when you're thinking about um, pick a country in the world and then pick a conspiracy theory um, that's related to them. It's normal after a huge attack happens in Europe that many different groups will claim responsibility for it, all in a way trying to claim the infamy, trying to claim um, almost advertising themselves as more powerful than they are. But did they have the means to actually do that? to plant such a bomb of such a size, to, to be able to mobilize people and drop them behind enemy lines. So that's an important thing to consider along with motive um, when considering who you're actually talking about. And this is the same thing. Not, I'm not only necessarily talking about violence or political espionage. It could be, you know, there are conspiracy theories about FIFA, about sports, about all sorts of things, about, you know, match fixing, um, all that kind of thing. Like if you... Um, only the other day there were some match-fixing allegations against referees. Uh, what do they stand to gain by that? Barcelona, I think, had been paying off. Um, um, they had some um, guy who was the head of the referee commission, Barcelona, the football team, for 20 years, and the guy had received 7 million euro. Now, um, they say it was for consultation, um, all sorts of things. But is there what are the theories around what this what this referee was getting from Barcelona? Are we saying there's match fixing? Are we saying there's this? Are we saying there's that? What's the motive? What are the means? And I think you can apply this to everything from geopolitics all the way down to um, you know conspiracies conspiracies of who did this or that between neighbors. Opportunity. I think that's the third one. Could it be carried out? Um, it's one thing having the motive. Um, and it's another thing having the means. Um, let's say you do have both of those things, but do you have the opportunity? Um, there are some countries that are like um, impregnable fortresses. If you had the motive, for example, to, um, let's say, take North Korea, the rest of the world has a motive to, um, you know, or would have had a motive to halt them from gaining um, nuclear weapons. And now, by now, it's too late. Or let's say you have the motive and the means to stop Iran from developing nuclear capability. But do you have the opportunity to stop it, depending on you, who that is? But the opportunity, um, are you able to enact the plan? Fourth, historical precedent. 
Now, this is kind of important, and I think this is very interesting. The historical precedent of empire, of empires, of huge nations basically bullying small nations, telling them what's what, whether it's, you know, the United States intervention in Central America, uh, whether it's, you know, deposing, um, you know, Mossadegh in Iran in 1952, I think, or, you know, CIA coups um, throughout Central and South America, um, imposing dictators, all these kind of stuff. If you look at all these people like, say, Gaddafi's relationship to the West, where he was in, he was out, um, all of these kind of things. Yeah, my good example is the Lockerbie bombing, um, which Gaddafi claimed for, the, for Libya, uh, the Libyan, um, you know, freedom resistance movement, whatever you want to call it. Consider motive, means, and opportunity for that. And yes, it was a baggage, ha- baggage handler, I think, um, who worked through Malta, who placed a bomb on board a, a, a plane. So you have motive, means, and opportunity. The opportunity before, um, before you know, this is 1986, I think, before the security got too um, so well um, enforced or whatever. So historical precedent. Has, has X country a history of doing, or X, X um, you know, um, company or secret service organization or whatever you want to say, do they have a history, a historical precedent? If a bomb went off in Ireland, um, and there's been a couple of instances since we've had a, you know, ceasefire um, with the IRA and um, with the English state, whatever you want to say, every now and again, something does still happen. And you have to say to yourself, is there a historical precedent? Well, yes, because people who planted bombs and who did kill people, they haven't quite, they haven't quite gone away, as they say. Um, so there is people there with the physical historical precedent. So do, does a, a huge um, a huge country have the precedent of doing these kind of things, of intervening in other countries' um, affairs? Um, if yes, then you have historical precedent, political precedent. That's the fifth thing. So let's take, for example, countries that have, um, let's say, left-wing revolutionary movements, maybe in Colombia or something, the FARC, um, or in Peru, or um, in, you know, North, South America, whatever you want to say. Sorry, the North of South America. Um, there are any country which has revolutionary, um, counter-revolutionary movements, which are attempting to overthrow, um, you know, despotism or authoritarianism. You could call that the, polici- the political precedent exists for um, those people to try and commit acts that one would say, one would theorize about their motivations. So something has to have a political precedent. And maybe, you know, you it's not hard to think of what that would be. In Ireland, there is a political precedent and a historical precedent for um, resistance movements. Now, sixth, I would say, is it logical? Is it rational? Just because something seems to fit and it's a kind of sexy answer, um, is it logical? Is it rational? Now, for people, you know, I know the moon landing. I've never really been that interested in the whole moon landing stuff. Um, but the theory is, of course, that they faked the moon landing and all that kind of thing. What would be the logical or rational, um, you know, purposes of that? And could you keep the thousands of people, you know, in on producing such an occurrence uh, quiet. So when you think about some of the famous conspiracy theories, think how many people must be involved, like even 9-11 or that kind of thing. How many people theoretically must be involved in a massive conspiracy? And how do you keep 
thousands of people or hundreds of people that surely will, it's human nature, tell their nearest and dearest and so on and so on. How do you keep that quiet over decades and decades and decades? What's the logical, rational um, analysis of what's just happened? And that's sort of connected to my seventh point, which is the risk of comeback or guilt. Now, of course, one man or one woman acting alone um, I often use the example of, you know, Gabriella Princip, um, you know, shooting the Archduke Ferdinand dead on the streets of Sarajevo. Um, you know, that's one person acting essentially well. I mean, he had an accomplices on that day and he was part of what I think it's this Black Hand organization, Serbian nationalist organization. But at the same time, he acted fundamentally um, alone that day. Um, and the risk of comeback guilt for somebody who's just acting alone. Um, I, I'm not sure that they necessarily think about all those things. I'm surely it didn't cross his mind. Oh, we're going to this is going to start a world war. But if you're in a state um, as in a nation state and you think, well, if we if we attack, say, you know, if we have our revolutionary or our counterinsurgency movement attack um, another country and then we're going to risk them carpet bombing our cities um, this again ties into the logical, rational view of things. Are you going to use, let's say, one, you know, a 10% force um, and get 50% force back and risk not only being killed yourself, but your entire town and cities being leveled? Um, or, for example, in the case of sanctions, even war, wars have been declared over things, the actions of a tiny few people. I think there is a logical, rational view to some of these things. Now, of course, if you're being, um, you know, terribly oppressed as a state, um, sometimes people become absolutely desperate. But that's also part of the logical, rational way of viewing the precedents um, or viewing the particular theory. Think to yourself, um, the person who committed this act, what did they rationally or logically perhaps think would be the comeback, the blowback? I mean, do you think, do the Japanese think, well, you know, if we bomb Pearl Harbor, maybe are we going to get bombed with a nuclear bomb, um, you know, in Hiroshima and Nagasaki um, and kill X amount of people? You have to think of the, the kind of chain of events there, that if they knew what might have happened, would that have stopped them? Again, complicated. But I think it's tied into analyzing, um, you know, uh, as I said, the logical or the rationality of the um, the occurrence. Eight, I have the power of propaganda, um, which I suppose is really relevant to our modern mainstream narrative. Does the propaganda back up the theory? Or, for example, are you being fed propaganda, which is trying to push you into one way or another to accept, um, you know, repercussions down the line? Could it be that um, the power of propaganda is what is compelling um, elements of society to move towards viewing the narrative one way or the other? I mean, think about J JFK was, you know, sh uh, shot openly in public and they never really you know they blamed it on Lee Harvey Oswald. Could have been, might not have been. Did he have links to Russia? Could have done, might have done. It's complicated um, and no one really seems quite to know. But you can be sure that there was a huge amount of propaganda trying to sway public opinion both ways or the other. Take them, take the, the Nazis in World War leading up to World War Two. At one stage, they portrayed Stalin and the Bolsheviks as, you know, um, satanic, as their ultimate 
um, opponents. But yet in 1938, I think early 1939, you have the Ribbentrop-Molotov Pact and all of a sudden they start changing the propaganda um, and changing society's view, moulding it um, in a completely different view of the Soviets from where they were previously. So the power of propaganda is also a thing to consider. Controlling the narrative is my number nine. Um, And that is, it's linked to the propaganda angle, but who controls the narrative of the truth that you're consuming? Think back to the invasion of Iraq, weapons of mass destruction. They were linked inexorably. We heard them all the time in the news if you're you know if you're not old enough this is this is what happened it was just weapons of mass destruction weapons of mass destruction the sexed up dossier that led blair into the war all that kind of stuff um and they found um there was no weapons of mass destruction but yet it was a constant control of this um propagandizing and this narrative to maneuver people into accepting that they um, you know, they, 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 they had no choice but to enter the war. Similar, I suppose, to what's happening now in Ukraine. And um, there's a binary choice where you support or you don't support good or evil. Um, but in reality, you know, many, many people are dying and there doesn't seem to be much diplomacy. So who's controlling the narrative about pouring weapons into Ukraine? So that's what I would say is number nine. Number 10, the final one, and that's geography. Um, the locational location and this was maybe a bit more relevant 20 30 40 years ago before we could drone strike people and all that kind of stuff but if you take russia was invaded by napoleon and was invaded by uh, the nazis and they all failed on the frozen russian steppe because russia's geography this huge frozen tundra of a steppe before you get to moscow and stuff um and freezing temperatures of minus 15, 20, 25, 30 degrees soldiers sent out without being properly clothed, fed, trained. Um, you know, the the Russians who kind of had their asses handed to them during the Winter War with the Finns uh, because of, well, there's many reasons why, but the Finns had skiing, uh, you know, units on skis and much more maneuverability, all this kind of stuff. Just off the top of my head, I'm just plucking things out. Geography and location. Ireland is an island. Um, but at during World War II, Churchill was very worried that the Nazis would invade England through Ireland. There's geographical reasons why Dunkirk was picked. Um, so geography and location uh, has got something really important to it. Take the countries of... Well, take any country that is divided by a huge mountain range and think to yourself, um, say Afghanistan, how many, um, f- uh, you know, enemy, how many foreign armies failed in Afghanistan because of the terrain, that they just couldn't succeed. How many countries are defended maybe by, uh, you know, a sea on one side and a massive mountain range on the other? And then think to yourself, could that, could those, you know, could that conspiracy theory have really happened in that country? Um, Because it seems unlikely if you check back through all of the other 10 things that they were, um, and let's, I'll say them out now, but it's like I said, motive, and means was it possible the opportunity could it be carried out and then you could say geography um, and locational um, and also other things like seasonal all those kind of stuff and all practical reasons as to why a country may or may not be attacked um or even a company i suppose um or anything really um historical precedent um political precedent is it logical is it rational what would be the reasons why 
um, a agencies of power or influence or a rational or irrational actor would do this. Of course, if, if an, er, an actor is irrational on the world stage, well, then it's completely unpredictable. And some of these things, I guess, don't necessarily um, make sense. But even still, I think you can apply them to the logic of somebody who isn't maybe even thinking about the next few things, which are the risk of comeback, guilt, sanctions, even war, the power of the propaganda that drives the narrative and who controls that narrative. Um, that is kind of how I think about or try and think about conspiracy theories when I have a moment in the space and somebody says to me, oh, isn't that a you know, conspiracy theory? And then you think to yourself, okay, well, does it make sense? Or do we just jump to the sexiest answer, the most binary sort of, oh, it's good and evil sort of answer? Hanlon's razor. Hanlon's razor is something I think about often, and that is never attribute, never attribute to malice that which is adequately explained by stupidity. And I think that there is um, a great worth in, um, in considering Hanlon's razor when you think about things. And this, I think, is especially when dealing with the catastrophization of sometimes things by the right. For example, um, you know, even pandemic and lockdown and stuff. Um, the catastrophization of the of it in terms of loss of liberty, which I understand completely, but yet at the same time, the idea that all of these things are top down and pyramidical structures, um, where only a tiny room full of you know some sort of shadowy cabal is running the world, it cannot be true because the world is far too complicated and bureaucratic. Of course. Um, there are influential people with some very nefarious motives. There's no denying that. And sometimes these things do come true, but sometimes they also come true by accident or, as in the case of Helen's Razor, never attribute to malice that which is adequately explained by stupidity. Now, of course, I think maybe Helen's Razor is um, a, a tiny bit outdated in terms of the modern technocratic state, but I think it's still worth thinking about. And then I would say, even despite the fact that I've just laid out 10, um, 10 points for a checklist, that is Occam's razor. Um, and Occam's razor is very interesting. It's, I guess it's the law of parsimony, um, a philosoph philosophical tool for shaving off unlikely explanations. Um, so let's say um, it's basically saying that when you are faced with many, many explanations for a situation, it's generally... Um, as a, a, you know, a, I suppose a statistical rule that the simplest explanation will probably be the one. And this kind of ties into the ideas of motive, means, opportunity, etc. All those kind of things. Um, the simplest answer is often the correct one. So if we consider a conspiracy theory and somebody says, well, it's all of these EU member states are conspiring to this, that, and the other. And then you think, well, okay, well, how many people would that involve? And that would involve top-down bureaucracy in every country working in tandem, all marching to the beat of the same drum with the same political motives and objectives. And you realize that can't be true. It's just too complicated. There's too many moving parts. So to try and look for the simplest motive and the simplest direction, that's, I think, what Occam's razor says. And I think to top all of that off, like the cherry on the top, to try and divorce oneself from uh, having an emotional reaction to these things. So not be emotional about viewing what is a conspiracy theory or to be led by the propaganda to assume that something is or isn't. Um, but to sort of, I suppose, dispassionately examine the logical or rational reasons why something may or may not happen. And the idea that there is, is there, is there a conspiracy around it? 
Well, my friends, I don't know. That's kind of how I'm <laughs> trying to view some of these things. And I think, well, maybe some of that was helpful or maybe some of that is worth applying to the odd thing that's happening. You know, whether you want to take the war in Ukraine or whatever else and, you know, consider what are the motives. Anyway, maybe I'm talking too much around the same subject and I should just get back in my box and talk about heavy metal some more. Yeah, you're probably right. Anyway, conspiracy theories. Agitators Anonymous, episode 148, my friends. We shall see you next Tuesday for the heavy metal ramble, miscellany. And I got some interviews coming up and some more stuff about music on the way and incoming. I'm Alan Averill, your hostess with the leastest over and out. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Are you ready for truly hydrated skin? Meet Hyaluronic Body Serum, a breakthrough in body care from Osea. It's clinically proven to instantly increase hydration by 161%. Their lightweight, fast-absorbing serum delivers 24 hours of nonstop hydration for silky smooth skin without the sticky afterfeel. Osea's latest innovation combines the magic of their best-selling Hyaluronic Sea Serum with a new formula that's good for the whole body and five types of hyaluronic acid to target every layer of the skin. Osea is a women-founded, women-led brand that's been crafting seaweed-powered products for nearly 30 years. The best part? Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Treat your skin to clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code SUMMER at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com code SUMMER.